0: This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on 9 to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well, now, for some children, putting sounds and syllables together is very difficult. It's called childhood apraxia of speech. It is different to other speech and language development issues, such as stuttering. Wellington speech and language therapist Christian Wright is here to help explain. And don't forget to get those questions through to Christian. Text them to 101 or email us nine to noon at rnz.co.nz. Morena Christian, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. Please explain what it is, childhood apraxia of speech.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well... I mean I think the first thing I should probably say is it's very rare. Um, So if you took a thousand preschoolers one or two of them may have childhood apraxia of speech. Um, So just so that parents have that in their mind as we go through today um, often childhood apraxia of speech um, not only is it rare but other conditions can look a bit like it. Um, But essentially it's had lots of names over the years verbal dyspraxia, developmental verbal dyspraxia but The current term is childhood apraxia of speech, and what it is is three distinguishing features of it. So the first is inconsistency. So these are the kids when they are um, trying to speak and put sounds and syllables together. They find it very hard to be consistent because they're having enormous difficulty um, coordinating the plans to move the speech musculature of the mouth, so your tongue, your lips, um, and your jaw. So essentially the messages that the brain is sending are getting disrupted and confused. So you can have children, like I had a boy the other day, he was trying to say the word bunny. And in the 10 to 15 minutes we were playing around with this word, he said, bubby, nini, baba, bahi. So it kept changing. So you can imagine the frustration for a child and a family when they're trying to get, particularly with preschool, it's their first words. And often for the kids who have got to the point that they are putting a consonant and a vowel together, they feel like they're just never winning because it's going round and round in circles and it keeps changing um, all the time. So. Inconsistency is the first one. Um, secondly, these, these are the kids who have difficulty transitioning between the different sounds and syllables and the syllables and words, so these transitions often they take longer than normal, they become disrupted, so their speech doesn't feel very continuous, like there's a good flow to it, it's, it's stilted and it feels like they're producing it syllable by syllable. Um, and then thirdly, their prosody. What we mean by prosody is how you place stress in words and the rhythm in your speech and the way you use pitch to go up and down to create emphasis and, and, and intonation. So these children have usually a very unusual prosody. Um, maybe their stress is very even across their speech. And their rhythm, as we've already talked about, is quite broken. So it creates a monotone, robotic sort of feel to their speech. But um, so those are the three features that we usually start by looking at. But there are some other things. For example, children with childhood apraxia of speech, they're often, they make um, much more, many more mistakes in longer, more complex words and syllables. And they their vowel accuracy is poor. And they sometimes have these tongue lip, groping kind of behaviors where you can see as they're trying to imitate their speech that their tongue is worming around in their mouth and their, their lips are not sure whether to close or open or, or um, to make a flat shape or a round shape. So it looks very inconsistent as they're sort of reaching for these, these sounds and these words
0: so it's a physical condition trying to coordinate the intention is there but somewhere between the intention and the the wiring to the uh, actual movements there's 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 something there's a, there's a there's an issue yeah okay that's right okay so what age typically it's present from birth if it's naturally acquired right and or if it's sort of, if, right. it, if yep. it's um, from, from birth. It's so when 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 will, you, yeah, when will right. you start to see how early will you start to see this kind of evidence um That
1: is a very great question to ask because I think this is one of the reasons why it sometimes can be overdiagnosed or missed altogether. It's a tricky condition to recognise, particularly in young preschoolers. But if we follow the typical path of our preschoolers and their um, development, we expect to see their first word when they're about one. They've usually done babbling from six months up to that point. And so there are some early signs that would suggest to us that um, these preschoolers are going to uh, maybe um, have suspected childhood apraxia of speech. So if we think about those early signs, it's things like in that two to three year age group, they've got a very limited range of consonants. So parents would often feel as though they don't seem to make a lot of sounds. And the sounds they do are very, very, um, uh, they're usually like P's or B's, D's, M's, some of those lip together sounds that you see right at the beginning. And when you ask them about babbling, the parents have commented that they did a little bit of reduplicated babbling, that like ba-ba-ba, but they never really moved on much to the varied babbling, like the ma-mu, the mi ba do. You kind of sound like Jabba the Hutt when you talk like that, but that kind of thing. So um, they didn't really do a lot of that, and that the child's, what we would call their word shapes, so how they put consonants and vowels, vowels, consonants together. They tend to be very restricted, very small, and so they, these children land more on just isolated sounds, like they're trying to say more and they go, hmm, or they're saying up and they go, ah, like that. So it feels like everything's operating at a very simplistic level, and when I'm interacting with these kids in play, they're often very quiet, they don't tend to make a lot of sound. Yet their understanding of language is usually pretty good, and it of course far exceeds their expression. So it must be um, very
0: frustrating, these... like like any number actually of um, of speech issues or communication issues. It must be very frustrating for the child.
1: It re- really, really is. Um, it's really frustrating for them, and it's really heartbreaking for parents because um, every parent wants to see their child. Um, succeed and win at the things they're trying at and the underlying issue being that it's a uh, essentially a neurological motor um, it's a motor-based issue um, means that it's it's very 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 difficult for this child to choose and sequence the blueprints that are telling their speech muscles their tongue lips jaw which direction to move how quickly how long with how much pressure like they, they find it impossible to pull together these motor plans, to then produce speech that their peers seem to be doing so effortlessly. And so often these kids will develop signs and gestures to try and communicate because in many cases their cognition is normal and they're trapped, literally.
0: In okay. their speech. We will come to treatment, of course, but can we talk about diagnosis? You mentioned it's often misdiagnosed, overdiagnosed, underdiagnosed, and some of the questions that have come in are about precisely this. One person saying, can apraxia be diagnosed in New Zealand who is able to do this? Are there people who can do it in Auckland um, as well as yep. Wellington? Uh, so, yep. Just pick up on what the process for diagnosis yeah, sure. is.
1: Um, so the process would be usually a diagnosis that is made by a speech-language therapist. That's the usual port of call because the condition is very much – it's a speech condition um, – Sometimes I have seen um, pediatricians give a preliminary diagnosis of it because the child maybe has some other features, not so much just about their speech, but perhaps they have another condition, developmental coordination disorder. So the child is showing signs that their motor development in general is very slow and it's presenting in their speech. So um, a byproduct of a comorbid feature of the developmental coordination disorder being the childhood apraxia of speech. But many of the kids I work with, have purely childhood apraxia of speech, and there aren't many of them. Like currently on my caseload, I have two. So um, not many. And the diagnosis is tricky to arrive at because Although um, we can do it, um, it's somewhat constrained by the age of the child and what the child's willing to do. It all looks great in the literature when they say, OK, so you're going to do um, a syllable and a word repetition test and you're going to do this test a couple of times because you're looking for the consistency issue. Are they able to be consistent in the production of the word shark so the child attempts shark then you um, go through the list there's usually about 15 words on this list then you play for a bit and then you revisit the list and you see are their productions the same again So that's one thing you're looking at, the variability in their production. And you look at things like a language sample if they are speaking. You're looking at the syllable structures that they use. You're looking at the stress, the prosody, how they are sounding when they speak. You might do an oral motor exam. So what you're doing there is looking at how they're moving their lips, their tongue, their jaw, what's going on inside their mouth. So there's lots of things that we look at to try and, I suppose, arrive at a point where we have a best guess as to what this might actually be.
0: A couple of questions before we get to the therapies, please. How is this different from aphasia, please? asks Jane. <sighs>
1: Um, aphasia is not really an area I work in, but aphasia is usually an acquired condition. So um, I'm probably speaking a bit out of tune because it's an, um, a condition that's usually treated by speech therapists who predominantly work with adults. Um, but aphasia, for example, is at the result of a stroke, and what that can produce is an uh, effect a dysarthria for some people. A dysarthria is actually a muscle weakness of the articulators. So those people have quite slurred speech. They also have issues with the way they're putting their sounds together and there may be underlying issues with the motor programming of that as a result of the stroke but the difference the key difference is children who have childhood apraxia of speech do not have muscle weakness they have an issue with the ability to pull together the correct motor programs in the correct sequence to execute speech
0: and one asking here if there is any connection between autism and apraxia
1: um, no, not necessarily. You can have um, the two. It's not uncommon to see children who have autism have childhood apraxia of speech. So one of the um, um, contributing factors to why their language development is going so slow is there could be this as an underlying condition. But hand on heart, it's pretty hard to work that out in children who are severely
0: affected by autism. Um,
1: it's hard to get to the bottom of that one.
0: Can apraxia affect Swallow, call, uh, swallow cause intermittent choking uh, episodes effect swallowing cause intermittent choking yep. episodes
1: um It's more usually an issue with if the child is having trouble with the coordination of their tongue, sometimes um, we can have some children who may have um, some issues with the way that their tongue is manipulating the food in the mouth, that sometimes maybe the food does start to go down or the the liquid goes down too quickly and can cause a coughing reflex. So the cough reflex is there to keep you safe so that the food and liquid doesn't go into your lungs and cause what they call aspiration pneumonia. But... um, I mean it's not really an area that I've had a lot lot to do with I must say and I haven't really had that as a problem with most of my clients but I in severe cases um, of childhood apraxia of speech. I remember remember many years ago, a lovely boy I worked with who had such a severe case of it, that he literally drooled while we played together because he couldn't even form lip closure. And he did have some
0: swallowing issues as right. well. This is interesting because the same emailer asks, can excessive intermittent drooling be connected to apraxia? Yes. Um, and has children both showing signs age three and five. Let's get to what you can do, please.
1: Sure. So there are treatments available and um, I think what might be helpful is just to go through severity because the treatments look slightly different based on that severity. So children who have mild childhood apraxia of speech, they're usually slow to develop their first words, their single word Um, acquisition is also slower so it looks a bit like a language delay but also they characteristically have fewer sounds than their peers and they make far more sound errors and as they get older their intelligibility becomes an issue so it's harder to understand them they have difficulty learning new words when the words particularly are multisyllabic, and they sound quite flat and quite monotone so those are your mild kids and um, because childhood apraxia of speech isn't just a severe condition it's a continuum and there are different um, children affected differently along it so, um, there are treatments available. So, for example, um, although I won't go into the detail of the treatments too much, because obviously parents would need the support of a speech therapist to implement them. But the rapid sil- um, syllable transition training approach, that's a great approach. It comes out of um, Australia, and um, Trisha McCabe is the person who put that together. I think that's her name. Um She uh, has some really actually online. um, There is a whole explanation of it, and it's a free resource for speech therapists, but parents equally can have a look at it to see what it's about. But, um, and that really is a, a treatment that focuses on the use of these non-words, these silly sort of syllable combinations like kuba or diifa. And what you're teaching is you're focusing the child on transitioning between the sounds and the syllables whilst also working on their prosody. And I think the thing that's important is whether it be mild, moderate or severe, the thing you're looking for when you're working with children who have childhood apraxia of speech is, although on the surface, it's a, it sounds like they have a clarity issue, Um, therapists are always trying to keep in mind and remember, and parents, it's important for them to know, you're not trying per se to treat the sounds, you're trying to treat the underlying motor program issue. So the treatments are focusing on the difficulty of the speech motor planning. And so, so you're spending more time looking at how the child transitions between sounds and syllables and how continuous it sounds and of course the accuracy is in there as well but you're trying to work hard in the therapy to keep thinking about how can I help you to put your blueprint blueprints for speech together in such a fashion that we are helping you to overcome this planning issue rather than worrying about whether you can say kick or to, Um It's more about uh, at, uh, therapy at the syllable level and the word level. What, um, go ahead. Oh, sorry, you go ahead, Catherine.
0: I was just going to say what kind of, of progress and um, trajectory, but you carry on with what, what happens.
1: Well, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go, actually, that when you get into the moderate and severe cases, the progress and the trajectory, slower, more protracted, Um, So the moderate kids, the young kids who have moderate childhood apraxia of speech often only have a few words. They're often using gestures and signs when they're trying to communicate. As they get older, again, their intelligibility is very much decreased um, in their sentences and their conversational speech because of all the speech errors. And they sound very slow and effortful when they're talking, uh, almost like a robot. Um, And then the severe kids, they're often, when I meet them, say aged between two and three, they're often not speaking at all and it presents. So so when I'm sitting in my clinic playing with a child, I'm thinking, you're not speaking at all. So what's going on? Is there an issue with, is it a language delay or disorder? Is it a severe speech sound issue? Is it childhood apraxia of speech? Are you on the autism spectrum? There's lots of things you're thinking when you're looking at someone who's not speaking. And often my cases who are very severe with childhood apraxia of speech, they usually don't have very many words, if any, their sound repertoire is completely choked. It's often down to maybe one or two sounds, often an M, because it's easy to bring your lips together and hum, um, and they are heavily relying on gestures at that point. Um, So if um, they're not affected to the point that their motor coordination with their hands then I'll be using a lot of sign in the early days to get things moving so they've got something to go on with and begin to communicate with people. Um, And there are other um, ways, there are picture boards and other things we can also be using to help them to get their message across, to take some of the pressure or the frustration out of communication for them. And as those kids get older, they typically, um, they have really obviously an obvious struggle to produce words and phrases. It's very hard to understand them and treatment takes place over years. So a lovely boy I worked with years ago, he was a teenager by the time I finished with him. And um, how those young adults sound who have had severe childhood apraxia of speech, you meet them and you speak to them, they're a bit slower in the way they talk. They often sound like they have an accent, and that's because one of the... um, Sort of indelible marks that childhood apraxia of speech leaves is on your vowel system. So they sound a bit like he sounded like he was from England, um, with, because of his, some of his vowels. People often thought he was on on his Oe here. Um, and oh, as I said to him, you know, well, that's the, we least, of
0: your, <laughs> <laughs> the least of your your isn't it? That's what yeah. I said
1: to him. That's pretty he good. Said, You've got a lovely standard British English.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me. Where you have, over many years, been able to get someone to this point, what is it that you've done, do you think? Have you rather like thinking about the stroke victim? Have you t- taught them an alternative pathway to do, doing something that most of us do this way?
1: Yeah, yeah, you have. you have. You've had to, in the really severe cases, literally help them stitch together the neurological plans to be able to generate intelligible speech. But I would say a big part of what I do over the longer years is I walk the journey with the family of trying to keep it buoyant. It's, it's, it's so demoralizing at times. It's so hard. Um, And the poor children, I mean, there's only so many games I have in my cupboard before they've played every game I own. And then you're into that territory of we've got to keep finding ways to keep you engaged and to help you on this path because um, your wins do come, but they come so slowly and there's so much effort to get them. But the point that I always focus the family on and the parents on is we do get there. We generally do get there. Um, And we literally drag the kid most of the time kicking and screaming there because understandably, um, Humans don't like giving a lot of effort for very seemingly very little return, but um, I often will go back and look with the children and the families when the children get older at old video. So we'll sometimes do video of their speech and go back and go, whoa, look how you were talking then and look how you're talking now, because um, you lose perspective on it with the time that it takes.
0: Christian, is there financial public health funding support for this kind of intensive therapy?
1: Um. No, it's such a can of worms, that one. Um, there isn't really. I mean, obviously, for my work, the families, they pay for it themselves. Um, I have had some families, I don't know how they'd go about doing it. Some families I've had, um, they've had support through WINS. Um, the Ministry of Education, um, obviously, they provide speech-language therapy, but... Um,
0: that's you've got, to get, very all, you've got to get all the um, diagnoses there, haven't you? Is that great to um, challenge often
1: or not? Yeah, and also just that, well, I think it's really difficult for the ministry therapists, their um, caseloads and the amount of time they can give to each of their clients and the intensity of therapy that's required for children who are severely affected by childhood apraxia or speech. It's just out. I just haven't seen it. That's outside their remit. And look, even myself. I mean, there are constraints because although the literature might say three to four sessions weekly, so if you're in America, um, they have therapists who are attached to schools who, in some cases, see their kids four times weekly. That sounds wonderful, but in practice, what I know to be true is that children. they don't want to see you four times a week often. That's very intensive, and this is hard work that you're making them do. Yeah. Um, although, So so I always balance how the child's feeling about the therapy with the finances that are available. Um, so there's a sort of trade-off there, and Interesting. I um, may see children weekly, um, but I certainly don't see them three or four times a week.
0: Christian, thank you very much as always. Christian Wright, speech therapist.